church. We will be looking at a number of passages this morning, and uh, I'm just going to encourage you to turn to Psalm 19 to get started. We'll be looking at a bunch of other ones also. Uh, This morning, we are going to look at uh, the part of last week's sermon that I did not, I purposely did not put in, because as we are challenged for the year ahead, and I hope for your lifetime ahead, that we are reminded why we are mission-minded. I didn't say missions-minded, because that is a small slice, but this is mission-minded. God has given us marching orders. He is giving marching orders to individuals as well as to the church, and that is to take the gospel to the world. I do not apologize for the time, resources, and people that uh, this church dedicates to getting the gospel out, not only in our community, but to the rest of the world, halfway around the world. Uh, As we just uh, talked about, uh, Caleb is going to be leaving January 7th to go back to Lesotho. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you had heard about Lesotho before Caleb brought it up at Garden Chapel? I'm not putting my hand up. We of the whole congregation had one person in the first service. Don't ask me. Janet Reichick must be crazy in the head. I'm like, she puts her hand up, and I'm like, how did you know about Lesotho? She says, I like geography. Okay. Well, I'm going to admit, I had never heard of Moldova until we start talking about supporting uh, CTE over there, and I went over three times to teach there. I'd never heard of that before. The point is this, is the world needs to hear about Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility because God has given us that responsibility. One of the verses that we normally turn to, or the passage we turn to, is Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he tells them that they have authority to go into all the heaven and earth, and he said to them, go therefore and make disciples, and he goes along and says, baptize them, other things, and then he says, observe everything I've commanded you, and I am with you to the end of the age. Here's what I want to tell you. That was written almost 2,000 years ago. And we are not done yet. We have a big responsibility to go for the future. However long God allows us to live on this earth as a church, as individual Christians, we have a job to do. And that is to take the gospel to the world. I want to remind you, a lot of times when we think of missions... We think of sending someone to another country or to another place, to another language, all those kinds of things, and people of a different ethnicity or whatever. But that is not what this passage says. The concept here, if you literally put it the way the Greek has it, would be as you are going. I will come back to that at the very end of the sermon. It is not a different place or a different culture or a different language. It is simply right where you are, you begin to make disciples. That starts with evangelism and goes from there. And guess what? You don't do it on your own. I used to try it that way. It doesn't work. You need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm with you. 
I am with you to do this job, to, to put into practice the mission that I have given you, the, the marching orders that I've given you. Now, here's the bottom line background to this whole thing. We're going to look at a whole bunch of scripture in the next half hour. But God has given all people, all people, the ability and responsibility to make choices And those choices are real choices that have real consequences. That includes either accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ. That has to do with whether I'm going to worship God or worship something else. They all are choices that people can make. We can make right choices. We can make wrong choices. But we can make choices, and we are held responsible for those choices. Remember, that's not just you. That is every person in this world. We also believe, and we teach, that Christ died for all people. Not just some people, not just Americans or some other country that we know about, but even if it's Lesotho and you don't even know about it, he died for the shepherds in Lesotho. He died for everyone. The price has been totally paid for all sin, for all time. And I appreciate the songs, Will, that you were leading us, especially that first one, was talking about this very concept that all people need to trust Christ, the whole world. We believe that salvation is available to all people. The first one was, he died for all people. It is available for all people. It's a gift. They can't earn it. They don't deserve it. But it's a gift that is offered to them. You're going to know where this goes by the end. Because if indeed all sin has been paid for, all people need to make a choice, and it's available to all people, how come all people don't have it? How come all people, been provided, they need to make a choice about it, why don't they all have it? Because God has added one more thing to this ministry, this mission, this marching orders. He is telling us as individuals and as a church that we have the responsibility of taking this good news, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. We have a responsibility. I'm going to tell you right now, the church as a whole has done a horrible job. And I don't want to be negative, but the church, by and large, has done a horrible job. The resources, the people, the time spent in missions is is minuscule. There are churches that have millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of budget and income. And across the board, most churches use about one and a half to two and a half percent of what comes into the church toward missions. How pathetic is that when that's our marching orders? Praise the Lord, Garden Chapel has not chosen to do that. A number of years ago, when we first started talking about me retiring, uh, I was a part of that process. I'm no longer in that process. Uh, That's up to the elders at this point. But uh, the elders did ask me to be a really big part of that. And they said, Pastor Paul, could you present to us the non-negotiables, the things that we cannot compromise on when we look for a new pastor. 
And I said, I would absolutely be glad to do that. There were a lot of things I talked about. But one of them is mission. Missions. The gospel. You cannot compromise, minimize, or marginalize that in any way. Because people need to make a choice. And you say, well, what if, what if the church doesn't do that? Is God's plan thwarted? The answer is no. But you, as an individual, we as a church, and the church as a whole misses the blessing. I don't know. When's the last time you witnessed to someone? Remember, mission starts right now. Starts right here. When's the last time you witnessed to somebody? There is nothing. I've been in ministry and I've had all kinds of things. I've seen great things happen in ministry. Nothing trumps being able to look someone in the eye and see them trust Christ as their Savior. Or if you were part of the baptismal service the other week, uh, when Jordan Miller came back into my office the second time, I had witnessed him the first time. He came back in and I, he was hesitant about if he had trusted Christ. And he came back in. I said, Jordan, do you know if you've trusted Christ as your Savior? It's the first question I asked him the second time. He said, yes. I mean, it was like, boom. Like, there was no hesitation this time. And I said, when did you do that? I thought he was going to tell me back when he was a teenager. He said, 20 minutes after I left your office. You've got to understand, i got goosebumps right now. Because there's nothing greater. The blessing is not higher in anything that I know of than seeing someone else's life being changed by being a part of the mission that God has given us. I don't want you to miss that blessing. I don't want this church to miss that blessing. It doesn't matter if it's Caleb in Lesotho. It doesn't matter if it's the Wurtzes starting Bible clubs in, in Pennsylvania and a few other states around here. It doesn't matter who it is, where it is. That is a part of the mission. Oh, and you are a part of the mission if you want that blessing. That's the way it needs to be. So, with that as a background, what is the end result of all this mission? Well, the end result should be born-again individuals, should be that people are worshiping the true God. Remember, all people worship something or someone. Whether they believe that or not, they do. Are they worshiping the true God or a false god of some sort. It can be uh, another person. It could be a philosophy. It could be uh, a statue. It could be an ancestor. It could be the sun. doesn't matter what it is. They're worshiping the wrong thing. And they, there should be local churches, autonomous, uh, self-propagating churches, because they should do what was done for them for other people and start reaching out. Ask Ben Buckner how that works. It's pretty cool when people from the church you're working with reach out to the next tribe over from them. It's really cool when you see that. And what's the end result? That we should be faithful in our lives. We should be loving toward our neighbors. We should be maturing or growing in the faith, stronger as a Christian. And we should be reproducing ourselves. What someone had done for us by giving us the gospel, we turn around and give someone else the gospel. That's the end of ministry and mission as God has given it to us. So why are we mission-minded? Is this really, really important? I'm going to look first at Acts chapter 4, verse 10. A man had just been healed in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And uh, they said, this Jesus Christ is the stone that you, the builders, rejected. He's the cornerstone. And then the verse that I want to look at. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other person, no other name, no other system, no other anything that is necessary or sufficient for salvation. For us to complete our mission, to put into order our marching orders, we need to proclaim Jesus Christ. There are systems, false systems, uh, in Christianity that say, well, if you're really sincere, even if you've never heard the name of Jesus, you're going to go to heaven anyway, if you're sincere. God knows you're sincere, so you'll be okay. That is not true. This verse would wipe that out, and the rest of the verses I'm going to talk about absolutely go in that same direction. There are others that say, well, if your ancestors would have known that... uh, this system would be available, uh, they would have chosen that so you can be baptized on their behalf. It's not true. There's only one way, and that's faith in, in Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other name. But it goes on in John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. It says, Jesus said to them, and this is his definitive statement about himself. God in the flesh said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but by or through me. The Savior of the world says there is no other way. So we cannot sit back and say, well, we hope these people will go to heaven and not to hell. No, we can't do that. We need to take our mission seriously. Actually, it's not our mission. It's his mission that he has given to us. The Apostle Paul, talking to Timothy, said this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There's only one person that connects both, heaven and God and you and this earth and you and their sin. There's only one person that can put this together. Who? Who is this person? It's the man, Christ Jesus, who himself is the ransom who gave his life for all people. And then the apostle Paul goes on to say, I'm a preacher and apostle to this end. A preacher is one who proclaims the good news. Paul said, that's why God called me, to proclaim that good news for everyone. Now, there are plenty of other verses we could look at, stories we could look at. We're not going to do that because we'll run out of time very quickly. But the point is, people need to hear about Christ. They absolutely do. If you don't believe that, you're never going to be mission-minded. Now, God has given us, and if you're in Psalm 19, that's where I'm at right now. If you're in Psalm 19, it tells us that natural 
revelation, I'll get it out. Natural revelation is good. It says in verse 1 there, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of their hands. And then it goes on to say, it's telling this day after day and night after night continuously, but a word is never even spoken. Because when you look, you see and you go, wow, that didn't happen on its own. That just didn't appear out of nothing. If you see the picture behind me, how many of you about 530 looked out toward the west out of your house? Anybody? Yeah, you saw what's up there. That's out the back door of my house. I was doing something and I looked out the back window and I said, Faye, you got to look out the back window. And I went out and I'm actually getting used to having a cell phone that has a camera, better, best camera I ever owned. And I'm like, i got to take a picture of that. And then as soon as I took a picture, I'm like, I know what I'm going to use that for. And, uh, but yeah, you look at that and you go, that didn't happen on its own. And you can explain some of that by water vapor in the sun and all that. But you know what? Where'd the water vapor come? Where'd the sun come from? You know, you've you got to look at it and you go, wow, that declares the glory of God. But it doesn't end there because the reason I chose this psalm, and that's a picture of my Bible on my desk last night after most people were in bed. But it says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then he goes on to say, if you had the finest 24 karat gold or pure silver, it's not as precious as the word. You see, there is natural revelation. A word is not spoken. But then there's special revelation. It's written. And it's lived because there is the written word of God, the Bible. And there's also the living word of God, Jesus Christ. They give us the full picture. See, the natural revelation can hold us accountable that there is a God. A supernatural God that's above anything in creation. We'll get to that in a moment. But only special revelation can tell us how we can be right with God. And so natural revelation is enough, but it does give us a knowledge of God. But for a knowledge of salvation to complete our mission requires special revelation, and we have a responsibility to carry that out. The fact is, let's turn to the New Testament parallel passage and turn to Romans chapter 1. That passage talks about this same concept. In fact, is in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he makes it clear that if you're going to be saved, you're going to be delivered and preserved, you need the gospel. So why are we mission-minded? Because people need the gospel. But it doesn't end there. He does go on and say in verse 20, 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, and then he names two of them, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made. Notice it didn't say appeared or any of those kinds of things. No, it was made. It was created by God's word. But it says that from natural revelation, looking at the sunset or whatever it happens to be, a newborn baby crying for the first time, taking that first breath, whatever it is, whatever, whatever really in this natural world just takes your breath away, whatever it is, this is way higher than that. That, that can really be, give you goosebumps and it can really be cool, but it's not enough. His invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature. Why is there something? Why are you here? Why is the bench here? Why is grass here? Why is the sunset here? Because there had to be an eternal, self-existing first cause of everything. A power beyond normal, natural power. And the divine nature, there needed to be something that is supernatural. The sun is powerful. I can, I can kind of in my brain think of why someone might worship the sun. On a really hot day, that sun is powerful. In fact, is on a real cold winter day, everything's freezing and the sun comes out bright. You go, wow, that is really, really something. I can understand that. But that's not enough because that's part of the creation. We need to look to the creator and many people only go that far natural revelation while not enough for our salvation is enough that god holds us accountable that's where it goes on notice the last part of that verse so that they are without excuse and then it goes on to say they knew god but they didn't honor him Uh, they didn't give thanks they speculated futilely professing to become wise, they were fools, and they exchanged the glory of God for, that's incorruptible, for the corruptible form of man and beasts and all that kind of stuff. Um, And because they chose to not worship the creator in the creation, says God gave them over to their own lusts. They exchanged the truth of God, because they could have known that he is eternal power, and he has a divine nature, just by looking at natural revelation. He says, God gave them over. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature or the creator, a cre- creation rather than the creator. And so God said later on that they are going to get the due penalty of their error. And he gave them over to a depraved mind. You're going to find that in verse 28. Depraved simply means corrupt, evil, or perverted. It's twisted. They took what they could see and what they could know and the light that was available to them and they twisted it. And instead of worshiping the one who created all these other things, whether it's their ancestor, a rock, a statue, or the sun, doesn't matter. And they start worshiping that instead of, hey, where did he come from? What was the supernatural first cause above that? God gave us one other thing that goes right across the board for all people. In Romans chapter 2, in verses 14 and 15 and 16, 
makes it clear that all people, including the Gentiles, that's most of us, uh, we instinctively do the things that the law demands in the Old Testament. How do they do that? Verse 15, they have the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. All people have an in bread, it's part of who we are, of a knowledge of what's right and wrong. Forty-some years ago, I had the privilege of being in a very small Indian tribe to build a airstrip. Uh, I spent three and a half weeks there clearing it out before we left from Brazil to come back here. Uh, they actually landed a plane there, so um, our work worked. There were only 50 people there, uh, but they knew right and wrong. They didn't know the gospel. That's why a missionary was there. They didn't have a single word of the gospel in their language but they had their little tin can that they had traded with the river Brazilians with a few cruzeros in it. You don't steal that. That's wrong. You don't mess with somebody else's wife. That's wrong. And you don't kill somebody else. They knew those things even though they didn't know the Bible. They didn't have special revelation. They had a conscience that else accused or defended them. God has not left us with excuses. We need the truth but we're also accountable. Now, if you've been listening along, you're going, and I didn't say this yet, you're saying that if somebody has never heard the name of Jesus Christ, so that means they couldn't have trusted him, that they're automatically going to hell. They're not going to go to heaven. If that's what you were thinking and that's what you thought you heard, you were right. Because the Bible's very clear. There's only one name. There's only one way, there's one life, there's one truth. There is no other way. So what about people that have never heard about Jesus Christ? There's actually a principle found in the Old Testament and actually shown in the New Testament that's pretty clear. You may have read stories about missionaries when they come to a tribe or a new group of people Uh, somebody will walk up to the missionary and say, are you the one that came to tell us about the real God? If you haven't read those stories, you need to read some more missionary stories. If you haven't read the stories about uh, people working among Muslims, where a Muslim will say, I was visited by an angel in the middle of the night and said, if you want to know about the true God, go talk to so-and-so. Now, angels never saved them and, you know, none of that kind of stuff. But they went and they got. You see... In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, it says, For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. If someone is sincerely seeking the one who created the sun or the grass or the rocks or whatever they happen to be worshiping, if they're seeking... God will send someone, and you're going, holy, you've just jumped the tracks. I'm not sure you're right about that. Well, let's go to the New Testament. I challenge you to read the book of Acts one more time. How about Acts chapter 8? Here's a man, an Ethiopian eunuch. 
He's a worshiper of God. He's not a born-again believer, but he's a worshiper of God. He has gone the whole way from the middle of Africa up to Jerusalem to the temple. On the way back, he's reading the Scripture. He doesn't know what he's reading. He doesn't understand it. God says to Philip, Philip, go up there and uh, catch up to the chariot. He goes up and he said, what are you reading? And he explains it to him. Here was a man who was seeking the true God. God sent someone, Philip. He got saved that day. How about Acts chapter 10? Here's Cornelius. He is a Roman centurion. He kind of rules his roost. He's a big shot. He doesn't, he's a worshiper of God. He's not born again. He doesn't know the truth, but he knows there's a God above all these Roman gods. And God gives him a vision and says, hey, call for Peter. Peter, God comes to Peter. Hey, Peter, I want you to go talk to Cornelius. I'm cutting this story real short here, folks. You go talk to Cornelius. Peter says, no way. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman. He's unclean. And God said to Peter, what I have declared clean, you better do. Uh, Don't you look at it as unclean. And so Peter did go and talk to him. And guess what? Cornelius got saved. You know what? So if you thought that was a wild story, and maybe I don't know if that's true, all you have to do is read the Bible, and you will find that it's true. That's not the only two. That's just two good ones uh, that I have off the top of my head. The point is, God responds to those that go, hmm, sun's very powerful. I wouldn't know the one that created that. But you know what? Did you notice what I said? They didn't get saved by saying there's a God bigger than the sun. The sun had to be made by someone else. It was the truth of the gospel that brought them. By the way, two times in history, every person alive knew the gospel. They knew the true God. Creation, Adam and Eve knew the true God. The flood, everybody on that ark knew the true God. They had seen God work in very many different ways by doing miracles. So here's the, here's the bottom line. The bottom line for this is God has chosen people, us. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that's you. If our church claims that we want to do God's work, we want to be on God's mission, then it's talking about us. Because He has chosen to use his people, born-again Christians, to go. I already explained that from Matthew chapter 28. It means go right here and now, present tense, consistent, constantly, right here, right now. What if we don't go? You miss. You miss out. This church misses out. I believe we're a blessed church, and... and, uh, I have, I have no problem. It's not a pride statement. That's simply, I believe it's the truth. We are a blessed church. We have problems like everybody else, but we're a blessed church. And I think one of the reasons is that we have chosen to focus on the mission God has given us. We look at the marching orders and we say, hey, if God says march, let's march. When we built this building 25 years ago, uh, there were people that were saying, you know what, we need to cut back on our mission spending if we're going to build a building. And there was someone who said, 
If you do that, God won't bless. During that whole time, and it was scary as all get out. I mean, I would wake up in the middle of the night. My heart was pounding like I had just run a race, and I was sweating profusely. I would wake up. It's like, <gasps> we never cut a penny from missions. Never cut a penny from local outreach. Why? Because I believe what that person told me, and I believe what the Bible says. If you want to be blessed, you be on mission with God. Is it your next-door neighbor that you haven't witnessed to? Well, that's your, that's your mission. Take that step. Is it somewhere downtown someplace? I don't know where it is for you. It could be at your workplace. <clears throat> Wherever it is, it's right here, right now, and you. Not somebody else. Not Caleb going to Lesotho. It is you here. Oh, is it Caleb going to Lesotho? Absolutely. Is it Ben Buckner in Papua New Guinea? Absolutely. Is it the Wurtzes working with World of Life? It doesn't matter. Or Lindsay in Japan? It doesn't matter. But it starts here. You go, are you sure about that? Mm -hmm. The parallel verse to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 is one that you all know. Because in Acts chapter 1, they were asking Jesus, when are you coming back? Hadn't even left yet. But when are you coming back? And he told them, it's not for you to know that. And then he said this, but, here's the contrast, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's just a few days later. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Right where they were standing. Right then and there. You go, well, that's not a missionary. That's an evangelist. That's giving the gospel. That's not a missionary. That's mission. See? Mission. Singular. Doesn't matter what the form it takes. That's our mission. Right where I am. When you go out the second double doors out to the portico... Look above the door if you haven't done it for a while. The missions committee put it there. You are entering the mission field. Please look at it. I challenge you to look at it every Sunday when you leave. I don't know that God's going to call any of you to some other place. He might. If he does, hopefully we can have the resources to back you up, get you going, whatever. But all I know is this, is this message is for me. And it's for you. You leave the doors, you're in the mission field. But it doesn't end there. It says, and all Judea. That's their country they lived in. And, oh, and then, oh, Samaria. That's the people you don't like. You think they're dogs. They're the people to the north. And we, we kind of walk around them. We don't even go through their country. That's how much we despise them. We're prejudiced against them. So we're not going to deal with them. He said, no, 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 no. Where you are, where you live in your country, and the people you despise, and then it puts one more on there. And sometimes we miss those first two and go right to the last one. And even to the remote part of the earth. The ends of the earth, as we would say it. Doesn't matter where it is. Are we going to be on mission? That's the whole idea. It's not the form of it. It's not the place. It's not the language. can be all of those things. 
but it's what am I doing with the gospel? Why? People can look around, they can go, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. But they need to hear about the Son of God. They need to hear about His ransom, His payment for sin. And God has chosen to use individual Christians and the church to get that gospel out, to carry out those marching orders. That's our challenge. And I pray that we would never, ever back off on that because we need to be doing what God has called us to do. You could say, well, the church ought to do that. Well, guess what? The church is always has been and always will be made up of individual Christians. So if you're waiting for somebody else to do it, nobody's going to do it. Somebody's got to do it. But if you're waiting for somebody else, it's not going to get done. I challenge you as we stand and pray. Ask God to show you over the next while, what's my part in this mission that God has sent us on? Father, thank you so much for the reminder you've given us this morning. Wow, what a task before us. Seven billion people and the vast majority are worshiping a false god of some sort. Wow, what a responsibility we have. What a privilege we have. And what blessing we are missing so many times because we do not follow your marching orders. Lord, I thank you that I have had the privilege of, of being a part of a church that takes that seriously. And I pray that we would continue to do that because that's what you've told us to do. Thanks for the blessing. Thanks for the challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.